Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hi, my name is Linda Miller Nicholson of Salty Seattle, and my new cookbook is called Pasta Pretty Please, and in it I have hundreds of recipes for beautiful, colorful pasta dough, and I make all of the doughs using vegetables, herbs, and superfoods. Your homemade, naturally dyed pasta comes in an amazing array of rainbow colors, shapes, and designs. How did you get started making this unique pasta? Well, I've been making pasta since I was four years old. It uh, was something that really resonated with me when my grandparents taught me using nothing more than a rolling pin and uh, and my little four-year-old muscles. Uh, it was really something that uh, has has um, followed me through my entire life. And when my son was about the same age as I was when I learned to make pasta, he went through that inevitable picky phase that all kids go through uh, and uh, would not eat his vegetables. And I was just tearing my hair out trying to figure out what to do to get this kid to eat his vegetables. If I were to tuck spinach under the cheese on a cheese pizza, he would detect it right away like a truffle pig, you know, and just ferret it out of there and get rid of it or, you know, green smoothies, forget it. And so um, refined white carbs was just what this kid lived on, you know, and even if they were organic and made by mom, I still kind of felt a little, that little bit of guilt uh, until I decided, well, you know what? I make pasta all day, every day. Why don't I just puree the vegetable ingredient with the eggs and color the pasta that way, knowing that he would eat pasta? And so uh, the rest really uh, has, has turned into this beautiful, colorful career that I have now uh, because he... <laughs> He bit it hook, line, and sinker. Um, <laughs> and, you know, for me, just knowing that, that I have this peace of mind of, okay, he's eating a cup and a half of noodles. He's also secretly eating a cup and a half of spinach with that or turmeric with that or parsley or beets. So um, at this point, he's 10, and he's well aware of <laughs> of what uh, what happened, um, you know, when he was younger and, and he knows what all the colors come from. And he actually started to embrace some of the vegetables that, that compose the colors of, um, of pasta dough. Um, but I think it's really cool that I have this uh, sort of longtime family history with pasta and then bringing it back to, you know, bringing it to, to my progeny, to the next generation, it all sort of ties in and I was able to make my career out of something so uh, rooted in family. You are the first pasta ninja I've ever talked to. <laughs> <laughs> How is pasta like textile to you? Well, first of all, Pasta Ninja is not a thing I came up with. That was Harry Connick Jr. He he decided that that would be my moniker, and it has stuck ever since. Uh, so I, I don't know that I necessarily have ninja-like qualities with the pasta. I mean, I can't, like, scale walls with it or anything. So I suppose I could put that on my bucket list to try. <laughs> <laughs> Pasta sort of transcends food for me and really uh, moves into this sort of form of artistic expression that is very similar to uh, patterns that you might be able to achieve if you worked in textiles, so in fabrics and in patterns um, that, that exist on cloth. 
uh, I think I realized that the first time when I was sheeting out like a, a really massive, massive, maybe, I don't know, 10 pound sheet of pasta. And it was very heavy. And uh, as the pasta started flowing through my hands uh, and, and sort of um, achieving this leather like quality, um, I, I, just got this real intense tactile sensation of, gosh, I could just drape this around myself, you know? Uh, and that was just a single color sheet. Uh, and I took it farther and started uh, laying patterns down on the pasta, basically using other pasta to create um, lines and shapes and, uh, and, and things on overlaid on the pasta. And uh, that's when it really was like, wow, you know, the, the, the possibilities are endless. Possibilities. <laughs> I had to get that in. I, I just, I had to get that in somewhere. We're, we're lucky we got it out of the way early on. <laughs> <laughs> you say you have no professional training, but you're not self-taught. What does that mean? Uh, I think that to say that you're self-taught is sort of a, you know, we're, we're informed by our life experiences. And so you, you don't just wake up knowing how to do something. You have to put in a lot of hours. And, and part of that comes with sort of, you know, live in the school of hard knocks. So um, even though pasta is something that, uh, that my grandparents taught me from a very sort of rudimentary perspective, just really making that uh, well of flour on the kitchen table, dropping some eggs into it, stirring it up with a fork, and then kneading it into pasta and rolling it out with a rolling pin. You know, that, that was a very basic um, a basic pasta lesson from them. But then I was a voracious uh, reader and apt uh, student of anything I could get my hands on uh, that talked about pasta. I would really dive deep into, like, the micro regions of Italy and um, – and um, figure out what the pasta shapes were there and uh, kind of try to, okay, what does Liguria make? And how can I, you know, how can I really get into the trophea al pesto that Liguria is famous for or the amulotis al plin that uh, Piemonte is famous for? Um, so, you know, a lot, of, a lot of reading and things like that. Uh, and then I lived in Italy for a few years and, uh, you just, you can't help but absorb the life of pasta. I mean, it, your, your veins bleed pasta after being there for a few weeks, reminded anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't like to, I feel like self-taught is sort of giving yourself all the credit and, uh, and I'm definitely informed by just the entire, um, you know, experience that I've had, um, meeting people, talking to people, trying a little bit of this, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't. And I mean, that muscle memory is something that you can only, um, create by, by practicing, by doing it yourself. Uh, but I, I really do. I feel like I find inspiration in, in absolutely everything in the world around me, in art, in media, in cinema, in politics even. Uh, and I try to sort of weave that into, into my medium, which is food. Let's talk about sourcing. What kind of flour do you use? I uh, am a big fan of not getting too picky or too fussy with trying to source particular products because pasta at its root actually was something that uh, really was just designed to preserve flour. So uh, people had figured out a way to to mill wheat down into flour, uh, which was much easier to work with than just the, the raw wheat and less volatile. Uh, and then they needed a way to preserve that wheat so that they could like 
take it on conquest, you know, and Rome could um, become the Roman Empire. Uh, and so initially they, they mixed the flour with water and dried it. Uh, and that is where we got our first pasta. So, so no, you know, tools at all, no fancy, just, just wheat and that's it. Uh, so when people get too far down the path of, all right, I need to source this particular flower and it's got to come from the, the downy hairs on virgin arms that grow in the Trevi fountain, you know, um, I, I, I like to say, all right, dial it back. Where do you live and what's local to you? And let's figure out how to make pasta out of that. That being said, I tell people to look for certain qualities in the flour um, to make their lives a little bit easier. Um, and the two qualities are that the, the flour should be fairly finely milled. And um, a way to think about that is most people are aware of what semolina flour is or even have felt something like cornmeal in their hands. That's very coarse and rough and uh, has gone through a mill um, but the mill the, uh, is lets the particles come out in a very in a thicker fashion, um, whereas a finely milled flour uh, is going to feel like like almost like cornstarch in your hands, very light and very airy. And the reason that the more finely milled flour um, is easier to work with with pasta is because it absorbs the egg, or in in my case, the the egg mixed with the color puree better. And then um, I also tell people to look for a lower protein content, um, just because a lower protein content flour is going to make uh, the dough easier to work with under your hands. So um, kind of a nice, soft, easily kneadable texture. Um, I do love uh, Antimo Caputo makes a great flour called pasta fresca and gnocchi. Um, and, uh, and that's a wonderful, very supple flour to use if you can get your hands on it. Again, not a big deal to try to source it, you know, go to the store, go to the bulk bins, look for something that, um, and one other thing to look for is, um, if color is your primary objective, you want a flower that's very light colored so that it doesn't, so that the color of the flower itself doesn't impact the color of the puree that you're putting into it. So I always say to people, just go to the bulk section of your local grocery store, um, I probably shouldn't advise people to seal the flour in the book bin. You can use the little scooper, you know, and kind of um, kind of pour it back into the bin itself. Look for one that um, is real light, real fluffy, and, and real white colored. And then the, the protein content should be on that book bin, too. Look for one that's lower protein. And that is, um, that's your flour right there. So let's say we don't have a pasta machine. How can we make your pasta? Uh, so I try once a week uh, to make pasta with, with no tools beyond a rolling pin because that's how I learned to do it. Or now that I'm an adult, in my case, uh, a bottle of wine makes a fantastic rolling pin. <laughs> that's what I used last you night. You get to drink the content. Yeah, <laughs> see, perfect. You get to drink the content. And then you have this perfect thing, you know, to roll out the pasta. I am, my one ninja like quality, I guess, with pasta, I would say, is I have to make pasta everywhere I go and travel to. And um, I'll bring like a little tiny pasta cutter, like a little wheel, um, but I don't really bring anything else. So I immediately go buy a bottle of local wine and I come back to my hotel room um, and I find some kind of surface, clean it up. And, uh, and, and roll it out using, you know, basically no tools, whatever I have on hand. Uh, I have tried to boil pasta water using an iron. Um, it turns out the coffee maker works a little bit better for, for boiling water. Wait, how did uh, you do the iron? What was it that didn't setup? Work very well. I, it didn't work very well. We, we, we wound up, <laughs> we wound up sort of making like pasta, like crispy pasta, almost crackery toast. 
instead and melted some mozzarella on the top. It was still really delicious because I think any food you make sort of, um, you know, under duress or or with a challenge uh, always tastes better. Um, but uh, in, in all practicality, in all, um, you know, achievability for what people are probably, lengths people are willing to go to, um, in context of the book, there is an entire section of uh, gnocchi and other rolled pasta, and those are very easy to make. You don't even use a pasta machine for, for gnocchi, um, and I think there are something like at least 20 uh, recipes there uh, that really don't require any any tools at all beyond um, rolling into snakes and then cutting those snakes with either a dough scraper or a knife, which most people have access to. So that's the section of the book that I recommend um, people start with if they don't have a pasta machine. However, even the sheeted pastas, even the rainbow sheet uh, is entirely possible. I'm throwing it in there again uh, <laughs> to make uh, just with a rolling pin. Um, you, you know, you'll get a little bit of a workout, but uh, but it's entirely doable. Let's go through some of the colors and you can tell us what makes that color. Okay. Um, yellow. Let's start with yellow. My favorite ingredient to make yellow is turmeric. Uh, turmeric root is sort of um, having a moment right now. Uh, maybe even as little as five years ago, you weren't able to find fresh turmeric root in produce sections of grocery stores. And now I sort of make it a point to look through grocery stores everywhere I am, whether I'm in you know, Peoria or, or San Francisco. Um, and turmeric is it's really pervasive now, and you can find it almost uh, in every produce section or at the farmer's market. Um, I prefer to use the fresh whole turmeric root rather than powder, uh, and that's one of the things I cover in my pasta workshops because I have access to both, and I show my students, this is what the powder looks like. This is what the fresh cut into turmeric root looks like, and uh, and you'll see if you cut through a turmeric root, it's bright and vibrant and really just the, the essence of that color, whereas powdered turmeric uh, starts to sort of take on like a mustard hue um, as it ages in the bottle. And so f- uh, for me, I love that bright, just sunshiny, you know, it's going to make you happy if you look at it yellow. So I go for the, the whole turmeric root, which incidentally um, is brain food. I'm not a doctor and I, I don't necessarily um, want to make health claims, but I do know that I have a lot of turmeric in my diet and um, and I feel it's lack if I am like traveling for a week and, and, and don't have it. Um, it uh, Incidentally, uh, turmeric bioavailability is increased, so, the, so it's better for you if you mix it with fat, so it's fat-soluble. Uh, so I think that the turmeric pasta is really perfect for rich and delicious uh, sauces like cacio e pepe or, you know, something with a little bacon or pancetta in it. I, I, I use that as my license to justify, um, to justify that richness. Okay, blue. Blue is, uh, there are two things um, that I commonly use to make blue pasta. One of them is a special spirulina called Blue Magic Spirulina, and they have uh, isolated the blue phytochemicals from the green. Uh, and so it's, um, it's like the color of, of beautiful aqua blue tropical seawater. It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous pasta color. Um, it is a little bit on the pricey side. And so the more economical alternative to that is a special flower that's native to Southeast Asia called the butterfly pea flower. Um, and you simply steep these dried flowers in water until you have the desired blue that you're looking for. They get really dark really fast and they're just gorgeous. Um, and uh, 
uh, it's a, I, I like to make that one as a water-based dough. So I don't usually add uh, eggs. If I do, I'll just add one or two, um, because the yolk of the yellow and the egg will kind of, um, dial back the blue blue of the um of the butterfly pea flowers uh but they also are very are very popular ingredient right now i know a lot of bartenders are using them in mixology because they have some interesting ph qualities where they'll go like from pink to purple to blue depending on what you're mixing them with green green is the, the world is our oyster there so virtually anything that grows that's green and that um <laughs> that you like the taste of can be made into pasta. Uh, and green, I feel, is really well covered in terms of the spectrum. You can go dark, dark, dark with like a lacinato kale and get almost like a like a deep sort of foresty green. Uh, or you can make a really cool, um, almost khaki color green with matcha. Um, one of my favorite greens, because I am a big fan of brightness and colors that bring joy and happiness, uh, is parsley um because it's really uh it's like crayola just classic classic sunshine garden summer day green um so parsley really is it's sort of my go-to it's also really easy to work with because it doesn't have a lot of fibers like some of the darker leafy greens do so you don't have to blanch it or strain it you can actually just puree parsley um straight into the well of a blender with the eggs and move forward making pasta so it's also a really easy versatile one to work with Red. Red, uh, again, there are, there are options for red. Um, my go-to is a mixture. So this is the first one we've talked about where uh, you mix two things together to get uh, a particular shade. And lots of shades can be achieved by mixing multiple ingredients together. You just want to be careful of mixing things that are across each other on the color wheel. Um, like you wouldn't want to mix something purple with something yellow because you will wind up with something brown. Um, so for red, I mix beets uh, along with a little bit of either paprika or harissa. So the orange from the paprika or the harissa, which is North African spice paste, um, will kind of tone down the pink in the beet and achieve a very sort of fire engine classic color red. Okay. The last color is black. How do you do that? So traditionally, black has been uh, a very common color in Italian pasta, and they would make it with nero di sepia or a squid ink. But it was always prepared with a seafood dish. So they would have this nata di sepia pasta, um, often with like vongole, um, clams or something like that. Um, and it has a very distinct taste that is delicious if, you, again, you're serving it with a, um, with a fishy sauce. Uh, I was looking in the book to find a black that could be a little bit more neutral and not have such an overt flavor so that it could be paired with any sauce. And I came upon activated charcoal. Um, and it is essentially charcoal that's food grade and made through um, a, a a particular process that removes any kind of carcinogens or big particulates, and it's made from very clean. Usually it's made from bamboo. Um, And uh, so I use just a tiny little bit of that, like like an eighth of a teaspoon will will turn um, a four-person serving of pasta uh, nice and dark. So it's a very nominal amount that you're getting, um, but it makes a very beautiful neutral black that uh, doesn't have any extra flavor. Because again, if we remember, this whole book was designed around achieving these colors 
getting some kind of health benefit with the colors, but also not making them particularly detectable to um, to uh, to sleuthing and enterprising picky people. Is there, <laughs> exactly. Is there one color that just isn't possible that you just can't <laughs> get the hang of? See how I did that? I love that. I thought that was great. Uh, for <laughs> me, that that the hardest color to achieve uh, was blue initially because blue, while it's one of the most common colors that occur uh, in nature, uh, doesn't occur does not occur in a lot of plants. I mean, you would think like blueberries, but in all reality, if you look at a blueberry, it's more purple. Um, and so, blue really took me a while and and, uh, and threw me for a loop in trying to to come up with okay, what's blue? It always amazes me me when people are like, oh, where do you get these esoteric ingredients for your pasta? And the vast majority of them come literally from the grocery store. Um, but there are a few, like butterfly pea flowers, they're not expensive, but you do have to order them and, you know, they'll, they'll take a few days to arrive on Amazon. Um, but yeah, I mean, by and large, people are like, oh, that book seems so intimidating. There's all these crazy colors and I don't think I can do it. And uh, after sitting with it and trying one or two of the recipes, people, um, in fact, I, I, they say as an author, don't look at your Amazon reviews. Um, and I couldn't resist. Finally, after a couple of months of the book being out, I had to go and look at them yesterday. And I, I started to cry. They were all like just so overwhelmingly positive, but this overarching theme through the reviews that really um, struck me and made me so happy was, um, you know, people were, were nervous at the outset and they felt like I was there holding their hand the entire way by the uh, end of accomplishing their first recipe or their fifth or their 30th. Uh, they felt super empowered and like, you know, it really, there was no big sorcery or big mystery. Uh, this, this really is just a, a simple process that's been going on for thousands of years, um, you know, at, at its core. So last night, I attempted to make colorful farfalle with beets. It turned out super light pink and more like gnocchi. I feel like I didn't roll out the dough thin enough. Can you talk a little bit about the dough preparation and rolling process? Yes. So did you said that you used the wine bottle, right? Yep. So roll it out. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, if you're using a wine bottle or a rolling pin, you do have to really kind of get uh, get get your groove on from a muscle perspective and roll it out nice and thin. And uh, people often ask, how do you keep the colors so vibrant? Well, the answer to that is to sheet the pasta very thin. So. If you have a pasta sheeter, it's doing the work for you. You're just reducing the number um, down. Um, there are two barrels that go across, and they get thinner and thinner and thinner together, um, and that's what makes the pasta sheet um, go from thick to thin as you're sheeting it through a machine. Uh, if you're doing that with a rolling pin, you're essentially doing the exact same thing. You just need to, as you're rolling it out, press harder and harder. And one thing you can um, let help you if you are just using a rolling pin or a bottle of wine uh, is gravity. So I will often roll for about 30 seconds and then I will hang the pasta over the back of a chair or on a rod or something and let gravity kind of pull it downward, which also helps the gluten in the pasta to relax and become more um, more elastic so that then when you come back to it 60 seconds or a couple minutes later, it'll roll and really give. So very thin pasta 
only needs to be boiled for 30 seconds to a minute, and it's done. Uh, and that is how you retain the color. So the other thing to think about with, um, with not retaining color, you're also um, experiencing some of the nutritional attrition in the water um, because, you know, there go all your beets into the water. Um, so I tell people sheet or roll very thin and boil for a short amount of time and your colors will hold beautifully and you'll have that, those extra nutrients. Those are good tips. So mm-hmm. I also made your... Uh, but also if you yep. were using the bottle of wine and you were drinking the, you know, the bottle of wine as you, as you were rolling after pasta, yeah, you forget may have, about it. Um, been experiencing some diminished physical, you know... You may as well go out. No. <laughs> hey, you're having a great time and that's all that matters. <laughs> so I also made your brown butter pasta water sauce. Describe that. So one interesting thing that people be, uh, who've read a lot of recipes might be familiar with is using a little bit of pasta water to sort of thicken whatever sauce that they're using. Uh, and a thing that people don't realize is when a chef calls for pasta water, they're talking about pasta water that has been boiling at the restaurant during service and hundreds of batches of pasta have come into and out of it and all of the flowers sloughing off of that pasta has essentially made this water sort of a, a viscous, like an a already an emulsified substance. Um, so it's no longer like water. It's already, you know, really nice and salty. And honestly, you could just drizzle a little bit of that over some pasta by the end of the night at a restaurant, and, and it is sauce in and of itself. Um, well, so my little hack for doing that at home, because you are probably not boiling 30 pounds of pasta in, in your pot on the stove is um, to sprinkle a little bit of semolina flour into the pot of boiling salty water uh, in order to kind of achieve that restaurant quality water effect at home by literally just adding your own flour to it. And the reason that I suggest to use semolina flour and um, not regular um, white flour uh, is because if you throw regular flour into boiling water, it will clump. Whereas if you throw semolina into it, it's coarse enough and the grains are separate enough that it won't clump. It'll just kind of go in and, and emulsify into the water. Um, so the brown butter uh, sauce is, is um, very simple. You just brown butter the way you normally would. So, you know, to the point that your kitchen smells really toasty and almost like 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 warm, like chestnuts roasting. It's got a very like autumnal um, smell to it, very aromatic. And once your butter is to that point and it's nice and golden brown, you will add a little bit of the pasta water in there um, along with whatever you're flavoring the, the brown butter with. So whether it's sage or whether it's the, the one with the poppy seeds that we talked about or there's one with paprika that's really delicious, um, you can really kind of do anything with brown butter as a vehicle. But when you add the pasta water into it and you whisk it, it gets nice and thick and sort of almost like syrupy in texture. And it's a very simple thing. And yet um, it just it dresses pasta the way a perfect dress would um, would cling to a beautiful woman. Now to my segment called My Last Meal. What would you have for your last supper? That is really easy, and I know it's probably a total cop-out that it's pasta, but... <laughs> what kind? But my last meal is uh, tacho e pepe with a lovely and warming glass of Brunello di Montalcino. Where can we find you on the web and social media? 
As far as social media is concerned, I'm very active on Instagram and I feel like it is probably the fastest and easiest way to get a hold of me. And my handle is Salty Seattle. In fact, my handle across all of social media is Salty Seattle. Um, I also am very active on Facebook. Uh, same thing, Salty Seattle. And I have a YouTube channel that goes a little bit deeper into um, video tutorials for people who want that sort of visual, video, visual storytelling component uh, to to learning the art of handmade pasta. Um, and then some really exciting news that is sort of a little bit more brick and mortar and not quite social media wise is that I'm building out a pasta studio and I'll be having lots and lots more pasta workshops and classes and events uh, in 2019. And that should be ready in February. So um, you can head to my, uh, my website, um, which is saltyseattle.com. Uh, where I'll be, once I have a definitive timeline, posting um, all of the information on what will happen in the pasta studio. Thanks so much, Linda, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Follow Susie Chase on Instagram at Cookery by the Book and subscribe at cookerybythebook.com or in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to Cookery by the Book podcast, the only podcast devoted to cookbooks since 2015.